Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What about the land? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I have sinned against you, my lord. I want my MTV. Twenty-one years. Rediscovery of the years 1980 through 2001. With your host, Sam Williams. What's up, my pop culture vultures? I hope everyone is doing great this week. Hope you all had a wonderful uh, holiday, Easter, and everything went great. You got to see your family. Uh, I am certainly excited to be here with you tonight. We're going to take on a really cool topic tonight. Uh, I think you're going to really, really enjoy but there's a couple of things I wanted to address. Um, one of them was my appreciation for you, the listener, uh, and hopefully the subscriber, for being a part of this podcast. And I know you hear that all the time from other podcasts you listen to. Um, but the other day, uh, I noticed that we were growing pretty quickly, and, and it just it warmed my heart. And I kind of been wanting to do an 80s, 90s podcast for a long time. And some of you may know me, some of you may not, but... The old El Dangeroso has a lot of podcasting uh, in his background. I've been doing it for many years. I have other shows other than this one that I do. I don't really cross, um, you know, market them or anything like that because I like this one standing on its own two feet. I, I really do. And this particular project uh, was something that I've been wanting to do for many years uh, where I could go and explore the 80s and 90s again, explore those stories that I forgot about that I want to go back and revisit revisit those pop culture things that I forgot about, whether it's music or movies or TV. Again, new stories and stuff like that that I you know, didn't really maybe understand when I was younger. And, uh, and it was just something I always really wanted to do. This is a podcast that was just like this little baby infant zygote in my head that um, I've been nurturing and feeding. And finally, it's here and it's been born and it's done really well and it's taken off. And I appreciate you guys so much for subscribing and, and telling other people about it. You know, I was kind of thinking to myself, why do you really do it? Why, why, do you, why do you take on these projects and why do you take on this project? And really, I got to be honest with you guys. I have two young sons. Um, I, I'm older, not too old, I'm older. You know how old I am. We're Generation Xers. I have two young sons. And, um, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not a Rockefeller. I'm not good looking like Brad Pitt and have an acting gig. I'm not an incredible musician. You know, I don't paint amazing paintings. I am just an average guy with the podcast. I think that's pretty damn cool. And, uh, works a regular job and I try to be the best dad I can. One of the reasons why this is so important to have people appreciate it is that it's motivation to keep going and keep doing these episodes. And the reason behind doing a lot of these episodes is to leave something behind for my two sons. I do a lot of podcasts, 
about other things with other people, co-hosting and whatnot. And this is really my own first, well, not really my first real solo project, but it's my first passion solo project. I've done work for other groups. And this is an opportunity one day for my kids to go back and hopefully be able to listen to dad talk about his childhood growing up, all the great things that happened in the 80s and 90s, all the little stories, even the ones I'm embarrassed of. And one day when I'm long gone, that they can go back and hear my voice again. And um, that means a lot to me. And because you guys subscribe and listen, I'm not putting a guilt trip on you, but I am selling on you really hard right now. But because you guys do subscribe and listen, it does motivate me to keep going because I, I see that other people are hearing me and wanting to hear more. And the secondary effect of that, which is a great one heavy on my heart, is that, you know, my two sons one day when I'm gone, and the old man's passed on, that they can go back and hear my voice and hear me talk about growing up and the cool things that we had. And listen, that just means so much to me. So when you're supporting the show, you're kind of supporting a bigger cause and maybe even your grandkids and their great grandkids or whatever may want to know about that. He's in nineties. And I really hope you direct them towards this show in the future. And hopefully the internet, I don't think it's going anywhere. You know, it's going to seal this episode and other episodes, hopefully in the library of time. And uh, the internet is great about freezing things and leaving them there forever. If you ever sent a nude picture to a, to somebody that got out, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's there forever and it's really hard to get rid of. So hopefully this show will be like that. I like to call it the uh, interwebs roach that kind of just can't kill. So uh, whenever you subscribe and you motivate me, it, it does pass down to something greater uh, at the end. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Boys, I love you. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was I just got a little teary-eyed watching the finale of the first season Real World's Reunion. I think on Paramount Plus, uh, and uh, it, it was really fun to go back and watch that. I was going to do a whole episode on the real world and its effects, and we probably will do that. And since it's fresh in my mind anyway, I went back and watched the first season just for fun to prepare for the reunion because uh, I was really looking forward to it. My favorite season of Real World is the first one. I thought it was the best of the best. It's what it was supposed to be about before scripts and drama being caused and you know, everybody sleeping together and hot and going in hot tubs naked and all this other stuff. It was just a really pure, fun, interesting show about people coming together and learning about each other. And sounds really lame now when you think about reality TV, but such a good show, such a fun cast. And they were reunited, I think, after 29 years. Got to watch that and I thought it was really, really special. So if you have a chance to go back and watch that, it's on Paramount Plus, uh, which is used, used to be the old CBS at All Access. So you get a chance go back and watch it it's a lot of fun but i got a little teary-eyed watching them leave each other you know because it's one of those things you know like at my age now i realize there are moments that happen that may never happen again as you especially with covid and you kind of realize you know the last moment you saw somebody was so long ago or whatever and you don't know when you'll get another chance because of it it's kind of sad to recognize that Sometimes friends don't see each other for 30 years and then they get back together and they have the moment and they kind of realize that they're probably not going to see each other again. It's, it's kind of a, kind of a sad situation, you know, it's, it's joyful and, you know, they had that opportunity together, but we've all been through that where you're like, I don't know if this will ever be like this again. I think it was the office when uh, the Nard dog said, you know, I wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old times when you were in the good old times. And I can definitely identify with that in my life. I'm sure you can too. But this is not to be a drag tonight. Tonight's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to be taking on 
The Mystery of Al Capone's Vault. And if you were like me, this was a huge, huge event when you were young. Uh, it was all over the place. The marketing was brilliant. Uh, the commercials and ads were fantastic. It was a really, really huge event. I don't think we can tell people in today's times how big of a deal the mystery of Al, Al Capone's vault was going to be. We're going to explore that tonight. We're going to talk about the story behind the story of how that even got developed, how that even happened. Uh, it's going to be a really, really fun ride. I suggest you kind of sit back because there's a lot that's going to happen here. Uh, there's a lot of people involved. I'll do my best to kind of give you names and then kind of keep it very generic so that you can kind of keep up. But one thing I think we've got to make clear before we get into this is that we're going to be talking about Geraldo, not Gerardo. Uh, Gerardo played Ricky in the 1987 film Can't Buy Me Love, had the one-hit wonder Rico Suave, and has recorded seven albums. Yeah, seven albums. Let that sink in. And he's currently a youth pastor. That's correct. The guy who once used the term eat them raw like sushi is now teaching your kids about Noah's Ark and how to tie sailor knots in the name of our Lord. But if you're ever wondering what happened to Gerardo, he is a youth pastor now. Interesting. And I didn't even know he was in Can't Buy Me Love. That was something I kind of came across, which is a fantastic movie. If you're in the 80s pop, you know, love movie, nerd becomes great type of situation. Uh, learns a lesson along the way. I'm not going to go into it. We may do Anyway, on the other hand, we have Geraldo, who's a reporter and a producer and has won a Peabody Award. He was the first person on television to say the word AIDS. He's gotten a facelift, been married five times, and is a self-proclaimed ladies' man. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. And although he's not a youth pastor, he was attacked with a chair by a white Aryan resistance youth member, which is kind of the same thing, but not really even close. But this episode is about the latter, Geraldo, who was Jerry Springer before Springer. Geraldo had a daytime tabloid talk show that aired in syndication from September 7, 1987 to June 12, 1998. He wasn't afraid of confrontation or controversy. Geraldo had some of the greatest guest panels in history. And no, I'm not being snarky. It's 100% true. From Klan's members to Black Panthers to Satanists and even Gigi Allen was on the show once. Geraldo knew what audiences wanted, and he delivered every time. Fights always broke out. Audience members yelled and screamed at panelists. Panelists hurled insults back. It was intense, and it was fantastic. The 80s had an incredible run of tabloid talk shows, which has never been seen before. Sally Jesse Raphael, Donahue, Geraldo, Martin Downey Jr., not to be related to Robert Downey Jr., where they were all gods and goddesses of early morning talk. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, and a side of political incorrectness were always on call, just waiting in a dark corner to infect an entire viewing audience. Chaos equaled viewers. And it was kind of a formula that went on and on and on for many, many years afterwards, as we saw with Springer. But our story goes back before Geraldo led the charge of trashy TV goodness. So in 1986, Geraldo was a regular journalist on ABC News, and he was showing shows like 2020, when he was fired for publicly denouncing his boss over disagreement with a news story. He had a friend that wrote basically a news story that worked with the station, and because of the boss's relationship with said American royal family involved in this um, expose, the story was basically shut down. And Geraldo spoke publicly about that, and he was fired. But he was still kind of famous enough, but now he was kind of out of work. So the question kind of comes across our minds, how did Geraldo even cross paths with Al Capone's vault? 
Well, for that part, we have to go to April 21st, 1986, when a couple of producers named John Jocelyn and Doug Lulin started a production company called the Westgate Group. Now, you may be asking, why are they important? How would I even know these people? Well, I'm going to tell you how you would know these people, because they created the People's Court. Yeah, that People's Court that everybody loved. You remember Judge Wapner? Of course you do. But they were the creators and producers of that show. So what do you do when you create the People's Court top drama hit on national television? Well, you got to top that. You got to find something else to do to kind of reach your goals. And the two producers are sitting in their office trying to figure out what they were going to do next. And it turns out that Al Capone's vault is based on rumor and innuendo. One of the producers, John Jocelyn, had read a local newspaper story based on two mafia historians that believed that Capone's old haunt, the Lexington Hotel in Chicago, had a concrete wall in the basement that might contain some of the late mob kingpin's possessions. The interest began to really peak when the two producers asked around a bit about the hotel. They were swept away when their own investigation under the hotel revealed an entire tunnel system under the hotel, and the tunnels went under Michigan Avenue from the Lexington Hotel to the Metropole Hotel, which was directly across the street. But it wasn't only the tunnels that got the pair of producers excited, but also a hidden staircase and three cement vaults. According to John Jocelyn, the center vault had electrical cables protruding from the top of it. The mystery and rumors around the hotel and its connection to Al Capone began to excite the producers, and they came across an idea to do a live show in which they would break into the vault. The producers tried to sell the idea to major networks, but were shot down over and over when the network execs asked what was inside the vault. The answer was, we don't know. And major networks would not buy the idea because they simply needed to know what was inside to make it worthwhile doing a whole complete live event around it. The major networks felt the risk was too great to purchase and produce the show live without any knowledge that there was going to be something worth seeing in the vault. Pretty smart looking back on it now. huh? <laughs> Pat's on the back. But the two producers were adamant that there was something in that vault and they would be revealing it only on an actual live TV show they had planned. After getting the vice president of a production company called Tribune Entertainment excited about the idea, they decided to go ahead and produce and fund the project for the two producers, unseen and live on TV. The commitment was a huge one for the production company. Tribune brought us shows like the 1986 Ghostbusters cartoon, the Soul Train Awards, and the horror show Tales from the Dark Side, which I honestly do love that show. And they were putting together a live national TV event, and this was just not in their wheelhouse, to say the least. But it started out extremely successful. Tribune was able to sell the rights to the live show to 20 different countries. It was a sales slam dunk. It turns out that Al Capone is a known personality globally. And people in other countries were actually interested to see what was inside the vault. What made the show even more accessible was that the Lexington Hotel and basement were closed to the public for renovations at the time the filming was being scheduled. So far, everything was hitting on all cylinders. A production and distribution company had stepped up. The rights of the show is selling itself. And now the hotel is closed and the project can go forward without any issues. With everything going so well, Tribune agreed that they would finance a $900,000 production to Westgate, that would consist of a live breaching of the vault peppered with documentary-style footage that would tell the story of Capone's rise and fall in the criminal underworld. They even knew who they wanted to host the special. And you might be thinking Geraldo, but no, and it's definitely not Gerardo. 
And you might even be thinking Walter Cronkite. No, maybe Mary Hart of E.T.? Wrong again. They wanted Robert Stack, who we all know as the future host of a show called Unsolved Mysteries. Robert Stack was an obvious choice as he played Elliot Ness, Al Capone's archenemy in the TV show The Untouchables. This plan was nixed, though, when the president of Tribune felt that the show needed street cred and an actual journalist who would bring a live report news feel to the show. He wanted someone who could walk and talk without using cue cards. They wanted a real, true live event feel with someone who could carry the show without direction. So now you say, oh, now it's Geraldo Rivera. But no, you'd be wrong again. They actually wanted Mike Wallace, but his contract with CBS would likely not allow him to host the special whose rights were bought by 181 TV stations around the U.S. Their third choice was some ABC reporter who had just been fired, but was known for hard-hitting exposés, was quick on his feet, and had a niche for the drama flair and toughness that they needed. Now, finally, enter Geraldo Rivera. Last we saw Geraldo, he had taken a hard fall from grace for publicly criticizing his boss for not airing a special, and as a result, he was canned from ABC. And you'd think this tough journalist with the ego of a Greek god and a demeanor of an oak would be hopping at the chance for vindication. To do a huge live TV event that was being shown all over the world and shove it down ABC's throat. But his agent said he had no interest. In fact, Geraldo's agent said hell no when he was asked to do it. Still, the production executives felt Geraldo was the right guy and they decided to fly out to where he lived and asked him without his agent if he would be interested in doing the job. After a discussion, Geraldo said he wanted $50,000 and first wanted to see all the research and documentation the original two producers had dug up on the hotel. A short time later, an excited and impressed Geraldo called and said he was in. The show itself was going to be a two-hour event. The first hour was to be a documentary on Al Capone, and the second hour was devoted to opening the vault. Everyone had accepted whatever was in there was in there, and there was no turning back. Over a million dollars of 1986 money was invested into the production, which is roughly $2.3 million in today's money. Westgate, which consisted of the two original People's Courts producers, had roughly four months to complete pre-production on the special before it aired. In addition to getting proper permits from Chicago, there was a concentrated effort to get some idea of the origins of the vault. A 125-foot-long concrete wall that began in the Lexington's basement and stretched out underneath Michigan Avenue's sidewalk. Now, if you're asking why didn't they use sonar to see around the vault's perimeter from above, the answer is, well, they did. The pre-production was tedious and exhausting, so to help find their way around, they did use x-ray and even ground-penetration sonar. They knew the vault was huge, and they also saw that it did contain something, but they weren't sure what. Now, once things are getting reported out and we're seeing marketing campaigns and commercials, suddenly Al Capone's family is calling the production company wanting to take what was inside. They felt that they had the right to his belongings and millions of dollars invested or not. They wanted what was in that vault. But the production team pushed back and refused to even let them on the premises. But they did ask them to be part of the interview process, which the Capone family accepted. Unfortunately, the Capone family only exaggerated the rumors, saying they believed there was money, cars, or even bodies in the vault. April 21st, 1986, and at 7 p.m. Central Time, Tribune syndicated the mystery of Al Capone's vaults to more than 180 domestic television stations. An enthusiastic Rivera stood in front of the Lexington, 
promising an adventure that would be akin to an excavating Tut's tomb. To prepare for what they might find, members of the Chicago Historical Society were on site, as well as forensics examiners who were there in case bodies were found inside. Even the IRS had someone there. You might be asking why would they be there? Well, because they had a lien on Capone's property still. Capone at the time of his death in 1947 still owed the IRS $800,000. Not to mention press from all over the world was there as well. The plan they had was to blow up one part of the vault on live television with dynamite. The crew didn't even get permission to do this until 4 p.m. the day of filming. But the show began without much of a hitch, and Geraldo did a phenomenal job hosting the two-hour special. With the first 60 minutes pre-taped with interviews and stories with the documentary, and the last 60 minutes going back and forth to Rado Live between more interviews. Finally, the time had arrived, and the crew breached the vault, which was at the time walled over with cement. As the wall began to come tumbling down, it slowly became apparent that behind the wall of that vault was nothing more than dirt and empty bottles. With time running out on the two-hour broadcast and nothing but dirt remaining, Rivera blew an air horn and called off the workers. Quote, we didn't find the hollow spaces we were led to believe were in here. He told the viewers, quote, we're sorry. The last 90 seconds of the show is complete improv on Geraldo's part. The show was done early and it was live and it needed to finish its time slot. Geraldo carries the last 90 seconds the best he can, all while being disappointed and feeling defeated and foolish. Geraldo admits to going out drinking heavily with the construction crew after the show was over, admitting to them that the special had probably ruined his career and expressed disappointment how abruptly the adventure ended for everyone. All involved felt immense disappointment. They all wanted to find something. All of them believed that they would. Following the anticlimactic conclusion, Geraldo and the producers of Pone's Vault went their separate ways. While the press had a field day, according to the company's own tribune, they said the Windy City had never been windier. The public held a different view, though, and a whopping 35% of the viewing TV audience watched the mystery of Al Capone's vault. For reference, a great number for a TV special in those days was 20% viewership. Over 30% of the TV viewing audience in America watched the show, which equals an enormous success. 70% of the television viewing audience in Chicago watched the special. To this day, no entertainment program in syndication has ever gotten a higher rating in Chicago, ever. The show played later on the West Coast, and what was amazing is that even though the news was out that there was nothing in the vault, it still got a phenomenal rating. A little-known fact as well is that the crew continued to explore under the Lexington Hotel for four more days looking for anything that could salvage the embarrassment. The Lexington, though, never did get renovated. It was demolished in 1995, and despite Rivera's fear the special would prove problematic for his career, the opposite happened. In fall 1986, Tribune, the same production company that financed the mysteries of Al Capone's vault, announced a deal for a daily talk show featuring Geraldo Rivera. The partnership would prove to be extremely beneficial. Geraldo's talk show brought ratings for the next 10 years, and they also did five specials together that were hugely successful, though not nearly as daring as opening up a live vault you haven't seen inside of. As it turns out, the one thing that we did find in Al Capone's vault was Geraldo Rivera's revitalized career, which went on many, many years afterwards. Now, at the end of these episodes, I like to kind of talk about my personal feelings on... uh, what was going on and what was happening. And I like to say that when we're young, we tend to have kind of a slanted memory. 
But I can't over-exaggerate what a big deal opening Al Capone's vault was. And I remember as a kid, all the promotion, all of the marketing, all the cool commercials and ads. I remember local news stations talking about what would be inside the vault. I remember newspaper articles doing stories and all the possibilities of what was inside. All of us were excited for this moment. And honestly, it's one hour and 58 minutes of great television. I was nine at the time, and this was huge for me. I can remember all of my friends talking about it. I can remember my family getting in front of the TV, waiting for it to go live. And honestly, that one hour and 58 minutes is amazing. I'll admit before revisiting this memory, I laughed to myself about how dumb it was. And revisiting it and watching the show again, I remember how a nine-year-old El Dangeroso, just a little dangerous cub at the time, felt. He felt electric with excitement. And he was ready for the adventure. And for one hour and 58 minutes, he got everything he wanted in the special. No friends. The mystery of Al Capone's vault was not a failure. It was actually pretty amazing. Nothing we have ever felt since. We got to feel like the Goonies for a short while. And that's not really so bad, is it? Maybe we didn't find money, cars, a save for dead bodies in Al Capone's vault. But it turned out we did find Geraldo Rivera's revitalized career in that dirt mound. A show that gave us 10 years of quality tabloid trash television. That entertained us over summer vacations and on days we faked being sick to stay home from school. I gotta say, I think it was way more successful than we like to give it credit for. I mean, sure, the failure is something that we talk about amongst other Generation Xers. I mean, we drop the jokes here and there, you know, we fill in the blanks with Al Capone's vault. um, And it's funny. But in reality, I just feel like We got an hour and 58 minutes of wonderful television, excitement, and an adventure that we never knew we could have before. Um, Listen, I want to thank you guys again for being part of this show and um, subscribing and and sharing. Please continue to do so. Don't forget we're on Podbean. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Pandora. We're everywhere that podcasts are. So continue to search us out. Continue to download us and share in us. Uh, it means so much to us uh, here that put this show together. Um, and I wanted to say that if you're a movie buff, we're going to do some movie specials here and there. And one thing that I was able to lock down that I hope comes true uh, for fruition here is. I think I got the number one Karate Kid fan in the world. This is somebody that I know that is uh, obsessed with Karate Kid. Uh, Karate Kid changed his life. And we're going to have him on, and he's going to talk about what Karate Kid meant to him as a kid, what it means to him now, really kind of get him to kind of explore Karate Kid in his own way. I had the pleasure last year. Uh, I have not seen – I know this is embarrassing – this is this is bad to say as the as the uh, king of pop culture here, um, but I have not seen Karate Kid two, and we were recently on a trip last year, and he and I uh, were actually in a um, I guess a condo together with a bunch of other people that we were with, and uh, he said, "Have you ever seen Karate Kid 2? And I said, "No," which he was appalled by, and I'm sure you are too. Uh, how terrible that is that I haven't seen Karate Kid two. Uh, I did love Karate Kid one, of course. And he said, we're going to watch it right now. And I got to go from Karate Kid 1 with him all the way through Karate Kid 2. 
and the breakdown and the explanation of everything that was going on was phenomenal. I, you don't want to miss it. I don't know when we're going to do it, but I did lock it down and I'm very, very excited for it. So please be on the lookout for the Karate Kid one. We'll, we'll do some other. I know I've got people that are big Star Wars fans. We'll probably do something on that down in the future. But uh, we've got a lot of things in the canon here we want to do. We'll be doing them week after week. We'll be producing them, putting them out there for you. So please keep subscribing. Keep hitting the likes. Keep uh, giving us good good reviews. Also wanted to say uh, we've got a couple of new Facebook pages that have joined us in the ranks and have been very, very kind and being a part of our show. And I wanted to thank them real quick and promote them because that's where I go when I talk about my 80s uh, and 90s nostalgia. So thank you very much, uh, Forever 1980s, for being a, a supporter of us, 80s Life. There's another page that we go to and talk about uh, all things 80s. Uh, so please go follow them on Facebook. Join, become a member. You won't regret it. They've got so much great content there. It's unbelievable. Uh, so please do that for us. It, it really gives them back for uh, for allowing us to post on their page and, and be involved in their discussions. Uh, we often have discussions about the episodes we've recorded. So there'll probably be a discussion about uh, remembering when Al Capone's vault was opened by Geraldo Rivera. So if you like this episode and you want to go talk about it, please go join those, join those Facebook pages. They'll treat you right. Guys, thank you so much again. I can't thank you enough for having, uh, for helping this, uh, this podcast grow. It means so much. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys next week with a great uh, episode of something really cool uh, that I think you'll enjoy. Be well, and we'll see you next week. This is the 21 Years Podcast, and I'm L. Dangerous. Good night.